All right, gentlemen. Watch out for when that rush hour traffic. Those old people that have lost their paper. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another edition of Mark Mamba and the Mayor. I'm Mamba Smith, and in this episode, we'll dive into Tyler Reddick's bombshell announcement for 2024. We'll also look at one of our current driver styles and how it mirrors to a lightning rod from the past. And of course, who doesn't love a Dale Earnhardt senior story? Buckle up. It's time for Mark Mamba and the mayor. All right, gentlemen, we are back at it. Buckling in my boys, Mark Martin, Jeff Burton. This is Mark Mamba and the mayor podcast. We have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to get it. Just get it really going here and not bury the lead. Tyler Reddick just wins a race for RCR. The whole sport is excited for him. And then almost impromptu. Danny Hamlin and and Toyota dropped it easy easy there Jeff easy all there right. Jeff all right <laughs> about to drop the <laughs> drop the mic too they dropped the mic that Tyler is going to move to uh, twenty three eleven but in twenty twenty four not twenty twenty three what was your take on that well I guess I could start on that I've kind of been involved in a similar situation back at uh, Hendrick and with Casey Kane and all for twenty three eleven. They needed to make a move. They're smart to get uh, Tyler and get him locked down. And once uh, once you make that commitment, I mean, do you try to hide it? You know, I mean, yeah, it would be better if, if this was announced a year from now. But it's also it's a real difficult situation. Who knows what's going to what's going to happen with my situation? I really was the one that that recruited Casey Kane to come and take the spot because I loved uh, the team uh, and I loved Hendrick and I also loved Casey. So I thought it would be a perfect marriage. However, I was told by Rick that he wanted me to drive that car as long, you know, as I would. And we had a commitment for 2011 and in hindsight, it would have been, been better to me go drive the Red Bull car and put Casey right in there. But I didn't know that. I thought it was Rick's wishes for me to stay in that car and for Casey to come, you know, in 2012. It's going to be interesting to see what transpires. You know, they can have a great year. RCR and, and Reddit can have a great year in 2023 together or not. It really depends on them. It depends on Tyler and the team and RCR. Uh, you know, it, it's what they make of it or, you know, they may decide that it's better to, expedite the process and if that happens it's also going to be really interesting to see what happens so for me as a fan i'm just standing back watching and with with great interest uh tyler reddick is he's incredible i knew that he would be the guy to bring rcr back into the championship hunt i mean we just hadn't seen very many come along with his kind of talent lately I, I'm still a little hung up on thinking about Mark Martin driving a Red Bull car. I've, I've, Mark, at that age, your, your heart might have been. I don't know if you needed all that Red Bull at that age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't really need it, but I didn't need that Viagra back in the day. So. 
you know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> oh, I knew uh, we were going to get stuff. to that someday, but man, we'll have to dive up into that one a little bit later. Uh, Jeff, from a business perspective, <laughs> God dang, Mark. See, that's business- the Mark Martin I know. That's the Mark Martin I know. I, that's right. I want him coming out more. Um, from the other side of it, from a business perspective, you know, how, how do you as a team kind of navigate that because do you want to keep the guy listen there's no way you don't want to keep tyler reddick he is a potential future superstar in this sport uh he is one of the highest uh he was going to be one of the highest sought after free agents every car owner uh that he called would have picked up the phone and so you know richard childress uh had his work cut out keeping him you know i feel bad for richard childress you guys know what i think of richard childress i have so much respect for him richard and his company they got to look at this as an opportunity and they got to turn this into something that propels that company even further forward like they gotta this next move is really important for richard and that's the problem with losing a guy that's at the beginning of his best years ahead that's what you lost in tyler reddick it's different you know, an older driver, he's at the end of it. Tyler's at just at the beginning of it. And you hate to lose that guy because you could build around him. Richard can make it happen. Uh, Richard, one thing you got to remember about Richard is you could look around at who was a car owner when he first became a car owner. Who's left, right? The Wood Brothers and Richard, mm-hmm. right? Who else? And And Richard's been able to reinvent his company. He's been able to do what he has to do to keep digging. And he'll do that again, but it's a very important move. You know, I like Mark had a, a situation. Actually, I was at Roush with Mark. I just, it was time for me to do something different. I didn't know at the time that it was right for everybody, uh, but I thought it was right for me. And I, I did think it was right for Roush too. And people don't believe me when I say that, but Jack Roush gave me my first shot at top equipment. Jack Roush, Mark will tell you, it's amazing what that man has done for a lot of people in this sport. So I did look and I said, hey, if I leave, what are they going to do? And I also believe that we were building that team with better people. And I knew Carl Edwards was there. And I believe Carl Edwards could go be very successful. And I thought I could help build RCR back to where it needed to be. And so when I went and sat down with them and said, here's what I'm going to do next year. Now we're talking July or late or late July, early August, immediately within a few days, they're like, hell, we're doing it now. Like, and, and what do you think about just doing it now? You go to Richards and we going to bring Carl in. And, and at first I'm like, no, like that's not, I want to finish my commitment. But then I thought about it more and I'm like, you know, that's what we should do. Like, that's good for everybody. There were some tense days, high tension days, some stressful days. Uh, and Tyler's going to have to deal with that. And his team, assuming it goes all the way through next year, he's going to have to deal with that. I think that it would be in all of their best interest if they could find a way to go to the next thing and go ahead and do it. I, like Mark just talked about, I think that would be better. I don't know how they do that. It's a very complicated puzzle. But I think if they could, it, it potentially would be in everybody's best interest. This might be the the young guy in me, but to me, it's like, Let's move on. Like if I'm RCR, I, I feel a little hurt. Like, and you should, I, I mean, uh, that's okay. Like you should feel hurt. Like you, you bet on this guy and he is what you thought he is. And now you ain't going to get him for the, for the rest. So it's like, all right, let's move off of this. Um, and now you guys want him, So you guys figure out what you're going to do with him, you know? And, and now it's on you. Cause this is a situation. It's complicated though. 
There's a lot of business that has to yeah, happen. Well, that was my you next know. question is, is how much business for you, when lot. you guys were coming up and how has that changed a little bit? Because before I feel like maybe it wasn't as much, it was different. Maybe not, maybe not as much, but maybe it was different. Mom, I think it was worse. Was it? Because if you go back and you look at, you go back and look at a picture of Mark Martin's race car, how many sponsors are on that thing? Right. I probably got a picture in here somewhere. I looked at uh, one of my 99 cars the other day. I think I counted nine or 11 sponsors on that thing. Mm. And how do you, you can't, you can't go back to all those people and say, hey, we had this deal in place, but we're going to change. Like it doesn't work. So I actually think in some ways it might be easier. Well, one of the things, yeah, one of the things about that, Jeff, is, you know, you've got personal service commitments with some of those sponsors where you're still, you still owe them appearances, they're still doing advertising or commercials or whatever. And so it, it, it was really complicated back in the day. Um, it's, you know, it's still complicated today, but it was even worse back in the day. Yeah, I kind of think that they're almost in a situation where it's like, maybe look at getting Tyler over all right, we don't have the, the equipment right now. Maybe it's like a part-time thing. Maybe it's a, some Xfinity stuff. I don't know what you do there, but it's going to be, it's a very strange situation. If Richard Childress can work a swap in somehow, some fashion where he gets a super talented driver, then it's in Richard Childress's best interest. If he can't, then it's not. If he can keep Tyler Reddick and can get committed the same way he is today, then Tyler Reddick is his best recruiting tool. Because if Tyler Reddick can win in that car and run in front of that car, 80% of those people in that garage believe that if he can do it, they can do it. So how do you get Mark Martin to come drive for you? You let him know I got good stuff. And he's man enough, and he'll say, I can drive it. I can do it if he can do it. But if Tyler Reddick runs 30th, who's going to want to go in it? So that's the key. They can't. Richard can't give up on Tyler Reddick if he has to stay because that is his number one recruiting tool to bring the best driver into that car, which is what Richard needs. I've never, I, that's a good point. Mark, when you were, when you guys saw the landscape change and drivers came up and was there a way you did it that was different? I mean, this is new. I feel like this is a very new way of, <laughs> of announcing a driver announcement change. It, you know, we're in, in changing times and the youth movement is the strongest it's ever been. It's been predicted for a long time. You know, uh, when when I came into the sport, they didn't want to. Jeff Gordon hadn't been yet. And he's the one that changed it all. But I was there at the same, th- you know, same time. I was sitting on uh, two poles out of five starts in 1981 at 22 years old. The problem was is why would anybody want a 22 or 23-year-old kid when they could have Cale Yarborough, Bobby Allison, Daryl Waltrip, you know, uh, you know, and guys like that, you know, superstars in the sport that had experience. We didn't have data. We didn't have computers. We didn't have simulation. And those guys were that. When those guys would take those cars out and practice, they could come in and tell them what they were going to need for the race. And those cars changed a lot more than these cars did in a race. They were heavier, less downforce, uh, worse tires, and all those kinds of things. And so those drivers were 
fortune tellers. They could see the future. On Saturday, they could see what they needed for Sunday afternoon. And so it was really, really difficult to get your opportunity. And so therefore you had to ride, you know, in the back for a while and overperform and, you know, mediocre equipment until one guy finally really retired. They they usually still stayed running good until they 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 retired, but you'd finally get a shot, but you had to wait a long time. It's different now, obviously. When you've got, you know, a superstar like uh, Tyler Reddick, or in, in my case, in, in for 2011, uh, had the opportunity to put Casey Kane in with the super team that was at, you know, Hendrick with Dale Jr. and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. I mean, it was a no-brainer. I think I made a mistake at that time, like I said before, by not going ahead and, and stepping out of my contract and letting Casey go in there. But I thought it was Rick's wishes for me to stay. Not so sure looking back that we shouldn't have had a meeting about that and talked <laughs> about it more seriously. We just, we're just coming off of the magic mile. And I know for both of you guys, Loudon and myself, cause I'm from Vermont. So like Loudon, that's my home track. I've watched from the time I was five to like 18, we had season tickets there and we went to both races when we were at both. And you guys have dominated, had dominating races at Loudon. That place is so hard though. I feel like it's one of the hardest places on the schedule to get a car to work well. Julia Landauer, who's trying to make some moves, she got into an incident with with Justin Allgaier coming off a of four. Uh, when you're just trying to get some laps, right, and you're trying to figure out a place in your car and you're racing around guys are running for a championship, how how tough is that to to kind of orchestrate those those battles? So it's it's always tough when you get when you you know get knocked out of a race, especially when it's early in the race. But it's way tougher when it's your first first shot at it. And for Julia, you know, um, that, that's a big deal. She doesn't get a lot of chances to drive, uh, race cars and, and, you know, not enough, um, uh, you know, based on her ability. Um, I would really like to have seen her get more time. And there was some confusion about the accident. Um, you know, I, in my view, she did zero wrong. She was in the right, you know, at the right place on the racetrack, and the whole thing. And uh, Justin's one of the finest uh, men that I know, a great race car driver. Everybody makes mistakes and anybody that doesn't isn't racing hard enough. Right. Uh, but it was a, a really unfortunate um, mistake. And, it, you know, and I, I felt really bad for Julia. You know, when you're when you're a rookie driver and something happens with one of the guys, it's immediately your fault. Like everybody points the finger immediately. They're assuming it was your fault. I mean, even we had radio transmission. I believe it was their crew chief. You know, you came down on her, you know, the first time in the booth looking at it. You know, I'm, I, I, I mean, I can't, you can't, you know, I'm a human being. I'm immediately without even watching. I'm like, okay, you know, there's Justin. Like, what did she do? And the more times I watch it, I'm like, well, she didn't do anything. <laughs> like she didn't. I thought that Justin thought she was going to go closer to the wall. And he just misjudged it. Uh, and I, you know, because he didn't run over on purpose. And, and so, yeah, that's, it's always tough. It's, like I said, especially, man, I remember, I remember uh, at Bristol spinning Earnhardt out. I was a rookie. Or was he either a rookie or a second year? And we drive, he's laughing at me. He's driving a turn three and he acts like I'm not there. 
and I spin his ass out. Well, he spun himself out, actually. And I'm like, I just spun out damn Dale Earnhardt. Like, I'm going to die today. This is it. And because all those people are going to get me. And it didn't matter what happened. It was my fault, right? It was my fault. And and uh, he came back. He actually came to me the next week and said, hey, man, I, he's walking up to me. I'm like, oh, my God, what, you know, what's going to happen? And he says, hey, man, my uh, my family told me that wreck was my fault. And just walked off. <laughs> it's like, I guess that was an apology. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's as much apology as you get. <laughs> Mark, okay, so I know you and Dale, you had, had some drag out battles and your guys' relationship was, you know, different probably than everyone. Else. Can you give us a little bit of insight? Like what was, what was your guys' relationship like? What was it like racing with him? You know, all that good stuff. Dale treated me with utmost respect in 1981 after I won a couple of polls uh, being an outsider. Um, he, you know, talked to me, you know, and treated me with a lot of respect. He invited me to his house in January 1982. Uh, I brought some beta tapes with some ASA races, and we went down in the basement and watched those races. And when we finished, I was in the Bush Clash, you know, at Daytona the next month, and he wasn't because he hadn't won a pole. And when, it, when we finished watching my races, he said, let me show you how to win the Bush Clash. And he put his in, punched it, and we watched that. So, you know, we had a good relationship. He always raced me with a lot of respect on the racetrack, more respect than he did a lot of people because I paid a lot of attention and watched closely. In 1983, all of a sudden, and I don't understand why, he decided, let me see what he'll take. And he started pestering me. He would wait for me in practice on the mile and a half. The cars were already starting to get aero-sensitive and lose the side force when you had a car on the outside of you. So at a mile and a half, he'd wait for me, jump on my outside, and make me bow down. I had two ways to go. I could either bow down or wreck. Okay, so he did that for a few weeks, and then we're out at Michigan, and I've got a bad-to-the-bone race car. And he... Sees me in practice, backs off, waits till he can get on my outside. And as quick as he did, it made me mad. And I just somehow or another, I don't remember what I did, but I turned the table just like that and got on his outside instead. And he spun out and wrecked me. You know, <laughs> he, he lost it and cleaned my clock, both of us. And I was so mad. And, you know, but, but I knew not to run my mouth because Dale did not like that. And that's why he, he, boy, he punished some of those guys for running their mouth. So I wasn't going to run my mouth. All I said was they could all run up to me, you know, Mark, whatever. And I said, uh, we, we had a wreck. And, you know, Dale lost it on the inside of me. And uh, that's okay. You know, uh, he has a lot to lose. We can do this as much as he wants to. He has a lot to lose. He's leading the points, and I'm not in the championship battle. So we'll see how it goes. So then the next week we go to Loudon. And he sees me and he waits for me again and gets on my outside at Loudon. And as soon as he did, I just doored him. It was practice. I doored him. And I don't know this for a fact, but Benny Ertel says he drove into the garage, stepped out of the car and told Benny, he says, I think Mark's had enough. And that was the end of it. 
I mean, he just, it was, it, it was just <laughs> testing me to see, you know, what I would do, I guess. I feel like that's what makes Dale Earnhardt Dale Earnhardt. It's like, yeah, he's a, he was a bad man in a race car, but how, like, the, listening to that, it's like how he viewed it, the respect factor, he's making guys better. Like he's making you a better race car driver and a better probably yes, a little that, more. That, that's not how that's not how he was wanting it to happen. <laughs> to be clear, that, was, that, that wasn't crazy. his plan. Come on, man! I was trying to get uh, some deep in there. Hell no! I I appreciate you being there for him, but no, that's not what his plan was. He was not trying to make Mark Martin better at all. He held, He commanded the room. If you walked in a room and he was in there, he was the man. It didn't matter who was in there with him. It didn't matter. He was the biggest guy in the room. I don't, there was just this, I don't even know how to describe it. He knew he was the man. Even when he wasn't winning, he was still the man. And he was going to make damn sure you knew it. And that was his place. And that's how he felt. And, and he was, uh, he did a lot of great things for people and no one will ever know about it because he didn't want anybody to know about it. He did not like people to know he was helping you. He did not like someone, he, Hey, I'm going to do this for you, but you can't tell nobody. That's how he was. He liked that tough guy, but he wasn't doing it to make you better. He was doing it to 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 uh, to push you down. Jeff, right. did, did we're talking about driver change a little bit earlier? Did you ever get approached by by Dale about replacing him? Yeah, that that uh, he approached me. I, I'm Mark's great with years. I'm I'm horrible. I hell, I can't remember phone numbers, much less years. He approached me a couple times about. Um, you know, driving the th- the three car when he retired, mm-hmm. you know, we had a several pretty in-depth conversations about it. You know, one really long conversation at Daytona sitting on the hood of his car in the motorhome lot, <laughs> <All places. laughs> not his race cars. His, yeah. It's a street but, car. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it was, and it was, you know, that was amazing to have that conversation. Uh, but to be honest with you, and I love Richard Childress, but I, I tell you what I told him, I, I, my cars are better than yours. Like I can't win in that stuff. Like there's no way. Like I, we, we were parked, Mark and I, we were parked right next, we were in him with in the garage and we, our cars were better than his car. And I wasn't getting into that thing. I had way better stuff than he had. And I told him that. And he, he thought he's full of crap. We are, I'm okay. You know, you keep thinking you got the stuff because if you ever do get it, you're going to really kick our ass because <laughs> his car was not what we had. Yeah. Uh, Mark, did you have something? Did you have something else you wanted to add about Biggie? Uh, it's funny that Jeff uh, says that about the cars. You know, that's something that, uh, yeah, the thing that probably uh, pissed me off the most uh, was Larry Phillips and Dale Earnhardt beating me with a slower car. But I learned I did beat Larry Phillips some and i did beat dale some but and i you know i learned that the only way i did that was making my car better just like jeff said that's that's what you had to do and that was why i was such a car guy from you know 1977 uh going forward i i had to race larry phillips twice twice a week if i wanted to win i had to make my car better than his and that served me well when i went up against dick trickle uh, later, and then when I was having to go up against Dale Earnhardt or whoever else in NASCAR, it was kind of the same thing. We had good cars at, at Roush's. Mama, that, that's why when they talk about drivers, 
And is this guy, is this generation better than that generation? It's an impossible question because Mark Martin is a great Hall of Fame, one of the sport's best drivers ever. If he would have done it 20 years sooner, he would have been even better. And if he was doing it now, he's a great driver, but what he was so great at made him even better. So he would win races right now today. I don't know if he would win as many races because he was so damn good at the car, right? And so there's no question Mark Martin would contend for championships and win races right now today if he were, you know, you make him 35 years old again, but he would lose something because of his strength and that he had yep. at that time. And right now today, you don't have to know Jack about a race car. Like, matter of fact, it's better if you don't. <laughs> it really is. And, and, and Cup, because those guys now, and this isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with this. Those guys are like quarterbacks. They prepare. They work way harder at being better race car drivers than Mark and I ever thought about working. Right. We're thinking about upper control arms and right rear springs. And we ain't playing. We ain't on simulators and looking at. I mean, we're not doing any of that. We're, we're like part of the team trying to build a faster race car. These guys are machines like they're physical machines. They're mental machines. They got mental coaches. They got physical coaches. They got driving coaches. It, they've taken that to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. And so could Mark and I do that? Today, I don't know. I know Mark has enough God-given talent. I don't know if I do. I know he does. I don't think I could have. I honestly don't think I could have. Now, on the other hand, I think if I would have been born in 1947 rather than 67, I think I could have been a bad man because the things that I was good at would have worked well. Mm -hmm. I, that's my opinion. Who the hell knows? I, you put me back in time, you could probably prove me wrong, but Things change and driving styles and driving skills change throughout time. You know, I agree with that 100%. You know, that's that's really spot on, Jeff. The guys now, like, know that, right? Like, there's different guys. You can even hear them on the radio when they're explaining their car or, or how they're explaining the car. It's not like it used to be when you'd kind of break it down. They're not breaking down the car the same way as they did before, um, which I think that's an interesting thing. Cause like when I was growing up to your guys' point, it was like, okay, you need to know this and this and this, and you need to know that this corner does this and does that. So you can explain it to whoever's crew chief and you, so you can give them a better line uh, to make the car better. Well, they kind of know where they need to go already. Cause the crew chiefs drivers are better at driving and the crew chiefs are better at crew chiefing. I mean, the teams are just all around better, I feel like, at this point, at their specific job. There was a lot of times that Mark Martin was the smartest man on his race team. If you did that today, you're in major trouble. Yeah. <laughs> major, major trouble. That's right. <laughs> That's no disrespect to anybody that worked on Mark Martin's race car. So they were really smart people, too. But if yeah. you said, I'm going to get that guy or that guy to build me a race car and set it up, I'm taking Mark Martin over, over – most of his people that he worked with. You, if the driver's the smartest guy or thinks he's the smartest guy on the race team in 2022, you got a problem. Mark, you, I mean, that must have that must have stayed with you because you just went off and did some crew chiefing at the Montana Montana 200, right, this past weekend? 
I did. I got a chance to work with Daniel Dye and yeah, I had a lot of fun. Travis Sharp uh, brought, brought three late models. Um, and so it was a little bit, he had a lot on his hands. So he wanted me to crew chief. And uh, one of the interesting things about the weekend was and how things have changed kind of and how they hadn't. So at the halfway break, we'd run third most of the race, but we had fallen to, to fourth. And so at the halfway break, you know, we're fueling it and, you know, the car's getting a little tight. And so then Daniel starts telling me, well, it's doing this, getting in, and then it's doing this up here in the middle, and then it's doing this. And I said, stop, stop. I'm going to fix it in the middle. You're going to have to drive it in and you're going to have to drive it off. And I don't want to hear about going in. You can chest, just some brakes, whatever. I can't help you with that. That's the difference in today and back in the day. Today, these drivers pick these things apart all the way through the corner. First of all, you know, it's during the race. What am I going to, I can't make any significant changes. I can adjust the sway bar uh, load and, and, and open the stagger up, which was my main thing I was going to do was open the stagger up. The funny part of it is the setups have changed immensely since 42 years ago. The tires are still the same as far as they're everything. Once you get a good setup in the car, you win or lose by eighth inch or three sixteenths of rear stagger. And it makes you or break you. And I sit there and watch those guys haphazardly blow tires up and stretch them and everything else. I kept sending my guys back. This one's too big. Go get another one. And this one's too small. Go get another one. And, you know, I didn't stretch no tires. We ran two and a half sets of stickers and every set of tires was absolutely dead on on stagger. And that part of it, I enjoyed the setup stuff with the, you know, 7,000 bump, you know, 7,000 pound bump stop in the right front and all that stuff. I didn't know what to do when it came to that. <laughs> That's all. I mean, you're, you're right, though. I went to the Snowflake last year and we ran a spool and we had a pretty good car. I thought we were going to be fine. And how I went into turn one and I, I about wrecked, I about backed it in. And I came in and I apologized to the guys. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what happened. And we checked the tires and we gained that hell a half, half inch of stagger. And that <laughs> ain't driving that, not down in that corner, not at all. So, but that's so, that, I'm glad you had a good time, man. It, it looked fun. like a good, it looked like Travis was a good dude. I tried to get uh, I tried to get Mark to drive my super late model for a couple <laughs> weeks. I should have asked him to crew cheat the damn thing. Dang, yeah, you missed you missed out on opportunity there, Jeff. Before as we kind of close up here, I did want to com- make one comparison. I want to ask you guys what you thought about this. Ross Chastain doing what he's been doing, which is no different. We talked about it before the show, no different than really what other people have done in the past. Just there's more eyeballs on it now, which is good too. But there was a guy named Ernie Irvin who went through, I feel like maybe not, but you guys help me out here. It felt like he went through a similar stretch where people were really upset with him, wanted him to back it down. Is that a fair comparison? They were both, I feel like they were both very talented at, at that time. I wound up being uh, extremely, my best friend was Ernie Irvin, but it wasn't at first. When he first came on the scene, he was a guy from California. He was driving hard going fast and, and getting your attention, but driving hard and uh, reminded you a lot of Ross Chastain. Then he got him a good car, got in a good car. And once he got in a good car, he started creating wrecks at the front of the pack. You know, I'm not, I was not a fan of tearing race cars up and everybody knows that. 
I was a big fan of respect of racing hard, racing your guts out, but giving respect and not tearing stuff up. And Ernie tore a bunch of stuff up and the garage, you know, came down on him and he he caused a big wreck from the front row at, at the start of the race. And it was a, the big one. And the next week, I think it was at Talladega, he got up at the driver's meeting and he apologized to everyone in the room. And that was big. And from that day forward, Ernie never, never caused another wreck, never did a bump and run, never had a problem from there going forward. And I became his biggest fan and his best friend because, and the the reason I became his biggest fan is most people can't change their personality and a driver drives with their personality. That's a driving personality is what I call it. And you very rarely see someone change that personality. And Ernie wanted it so bad that he was able to contain that. Still won races. Heck, that dude was so incredible. After his injury and, and being in a coma for a month and losing an eye, he come back with one eye and outran us. I mean, that's how incredible he was. But, you know, I am his biggest fan. But what I see with Ross is, will he draw that in? Will he? I mean, like what we saw at Loudon was way inexcusable because he's already in hot water and it's kind of like being a rookie. Everybody's looking at him. If if there's ever an accident, they're automatically going to think, well, Ross did it again. And um, and I'm Ross's biggest fan to watch. I wouldn't want to race against him, but I love watching him race. I, I mean, I love it. I've been a fan of his since he was back in the trucks because he's exciting to watch. But for him to get the most out of his career, I would say that he needs to reel it in where he can run that hard but he doesn't make contact. I have the pleasure of watching Ross Chastain race every week. And I, I uh, have the pleasure of, of analyzing it. And, you know, some fans think I hate Ross Chastain. It's the exact opposite. I, I have so much respect for Ross. Um, but at the same token, there is a consequence when you race like that. There's a consequence if you're not aggressive enough. I mean, there's consequences in everything we do. And like at Loudon, I said, you know, we showed an example, right? He didn't wreck anybody. And I said, this is why the garage is constantly angry at Ross, because this happens all, this happens a lot with Ross, right? And people think because I make a comment about Ross, I don't like him. It's not that at all. It's my job to explain why. Like, what's going on in the garage? What's going on? That's my job. It's not a personal thing. It's my job. So, Ross, I, I respect Ross for a lot of reasons. Number one, I mean, he's done it the really hard way and he's worked his ass off and he's left the racetrack and gotten in the car and driven all night long to get to the next racetrack and get back in and drive to the next one. He's been willing to sacrifice and, and, and do a lot of things. I know he wants to be here. If you want to get my respect, the first thing is like, you got to want it. And there's, there's a group, there's some people that don't. And, and he, he is in that wanted group. There's no damn doubt about that. He's got a tough road because he's, he has more starts in the NASCAR's top three series than Kyle Larson. He's not a young driver. So how is he going to change? And does he need to change? I, that's, that's up for Ross to decide. And 
at the end of the day, what's he going to net out the best? And it is a different world than where Mark and I raised. It is a different world. And what's acceptable now is different than it was then. There's no doubt about that. Ross is exceptionally talented, has the ability to win, in my opinion, has the ability to win a championship, has the ability to win a lot of races, sit on a lot of poles, and do a lot of great things. Can he do that by making a dis- different decisions? I don't know. Only Ross can figure that out. And if he doesn't feel like he can, then he needs to just keep doing what the hell he's doing and deal with the consequences. But that's for Ross to decide and Ross to sort out. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing. It does seem like you can draw a comparison between Ross and Ernie. And at the end of the day, they're, they're both wheelmen and Ross is getting it done now. Ernie got it done before and everyone have, has their own path and how they want to do it. Moving forward right along here, guys, Chicago announced that they want us. They want some NASCAR racing up there, and I love it. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, it's not for me to figure out, but I will be there to watch. What, what, what do you guys think about doing some street racing in between the big buildings in Chicago? That thought is incredible. You know, the, the streets of Chicago and the thought of that is incredible. And I think that, you know, I think it'll be met with a lot of enthusiasm. On the other hand, there's another hand to that. We have a significant portion of our fans that are, in my opinion, over demanding for excitement. And they, I don't know how road, you know, street racing for sure. I don't know if we can deliver that, you know, as a package. And I'll be interested to hear Jeff's thoughts on that. But that's my biggest concern is street course racing make, you know, if you're talking about 90 degree turns, I mean, you just drive straight down there, you brake hard and you make that turn. There ain't going to be no running side by side through no none of those turns. You know, I mean, you just don't do that on road, on street courses. Yeah, listen, I, I think I think the opportunity to present a huge event in one of the country's best sport towns. I mean, think about that. I mean, I know all you, you're one of them. All you New Englanders think Boston is the best sport town, but Chicago thinks they are. And, and uh, to be able to have a NASCAR race in downtown Chicago would be an incredible event. I mean, it would, I watched what happened when IndyCar went to Nashville. That was, that was a hell of an event. And it was a lot of people there and created a lot of excitement. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we learned in LA by going to Coliseum. Don't say you can't do something. I, there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be, you know, traditionalists. There's going to be whatever that say, oh, this is the stupidest thing ever. But man, if we're not willing to try stuff, it doesn't, it's not like it used to be where when you built Texas Motor Speedway, you were going to go back for there for the next 30 years. It's not like that anymore. And you don't have to commit to downtown Chicago for 20 years if it didn't, you know, right? So it, there's a got, lot of opportunities. Uh, to, to take the sport to different people, to take it in one of the best sport towns in the country, racing through the street. I mean, that is, there's a lot of excitable things. The course itself, I'm with you. I, I think that that is the biggest question. I will say this. The road course racing on the bigger racetracks hasn't been as compelling as it has been. So what if you build the Bristol Motor, the old Bristol Motor Speedway on a style of road course? Like, what do you get with a tighter course? Do you get what happens? I don't know. But 
long straightaways and a lot of breaking zones and that kind of thing haven't actually created as incredible racing as we thought it would create. So what if you do the opposite? What happens? Do you create, again, a Bristol Motor Speedway style road course? Is that possible where you're just all clogged up together and trying to fight for space? And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Uh, but I love the opportunity to go try different things. If we don't try different things, we're never going to get better. And I know the traditionalists hate that, but, you know, there's a lot of examples where now we look back and we say, oh, yeah, that's what we wanted. Yeah, you didn't want it when we did it. And, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and so let's let's be open minded and let's give it a shot and let NASCAR and Chicago and the drivers all get together and build the best racetrack they can and let them go race, man. They, you, we always said they race in a parking lot if you let them. Right. No matter what. Hey. Put them somewhere. Let them race. I promise you, those those fellas are going to get after it. I love it to both of you guys' points. Different venue, a lot of buzz, more Midwest, a different area. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know what we've never seen? Never seen a street course run in a, I don't know, it wouldn't be an oval, but <laughs> run like we normally, like maybe like an indie where it's four corners like that. You know what I mean? I think that'd be cool if you're running around the block, something like that might work out. So whatever it is, I'm excited for it. I know you guys are as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for tuning in for Mark Mamba and the Mayor.